0: The longer I get into my career, the more outspoken I get about we're not doing what's best for kids all the time. We're, we're often doing what's best for adults, but we are not doing our kids the service we need to. And I'm hearing it now as a superintendent on the employer end of you are not sending students to us with the skills that we need for them to be successful in the workplace. Welcome to District Leader, a podcast about moving and inspiring educators and non-educators alike to believe in the power of education, its leaders, and its transformation, with your host, Luis Valentino.
1: The pandemic has magnified a number of pre-existing conditions within our educational systems across the country, including the impact on student academic progress and achievement. At the same time, district leaders have worked hard to identify the opportunities that can help them in preparing their students in more thoughtful, relevant, and meaningful ways. In my conversation today, my guest and I will hopefully bring some focus to both the challenges and the opportunities of leading through the pandemic. My guest today is Brady Cook, superintendent of the Michigan Center School District in Michigan Center, Michigan. Brady has served as teacher, coach, and principal. He is an advocate of servant leadership, equity, and student success, themes we will get into in our conversation today. Brady's educational career began in Grass Lake, Michigan, where he taught language arts and coached football, basketball, and baseball. After six years of teaching and coaching, Brady became a principal with the Michigan Center School District. Brady has been the superintendent at Michigan Center since 2017 after serving as principal for 13 years. Brady is committed to continuing his advocacy for a school design that better meets the needs of all students. We will speak with Brady right after our affiliate sponsors' messages. I would like to thank our affiliate sponsors Audible, the world's largest producer and provider of spoken word entertainment and audiobooks, edX, the trusted platform for adult education and learning, Learning Resources, where their mission is to help kids love to learn and WiredProfiles.com, Education's Daily Digest. You can learn more about our affiliate sponsors at www.districtleader.net slash sponsorship. Brady, good morning. Welcome to District Leader. How are you? Great, thank you.
0: This is an awesome opportunity, so thank you for that. Thank you for joining us. How is your community dealing through the pandemic? I really appreciate how our community has handled it. As you are well aware, I know we're, we're in Michigan here, and In our community and all the communities around us, there's quite a lot of division as to how to handle the particulars of the pandemic, and we've definitely got them on both sides. But what I appreciate is that the community has put their trust in our school district. I think we've earned that with our work over the years and the culture we've built. So despite their differences of opinion, when we are laying out a plan for keeping kids safe in school and how we want to continue to educate, they have been... Very good with us, so and we did put some very strict, safe parameters in place, and we did not get any pushback. I think we, we've earned that degree of trust, and I, I can't tell you how much I appreciate that.
1: Can you describe your school district for our listeners a little more?
0: Yeah, it's we're a relatively small district in southern Lower Michigan. We are just a couple miles southeast of Jackson, Michigan. We're about forty miles west of Ann Arbor, Michigan. So University of Michigan, and then we're probably about eighty miles west of Detroit, Michigan. We are a small district. We usually hover around 1,400 students for the entire district. Um, We have two separate elementary buildings and then a combined 7th through 12th grade building. Our free and reduced lunch numbers usually fall in the neighborhood of 55 to 60 percent. And about 35 percent of our school population comes to us by a school of choice from other districts. We are a very economically diverse community. Within our district, we have students coming from lake homes, suburban homes, rural and farm homes, inner city homes, trailer parks, and more, everything in between. But for all of us, school is definitely our happy place. It's the center of the community. Um, And as a community, we love, appreciate, and respect the diverse backgrounds. So when the state of Michigan allowed school of choice enrollment, it, it helped us economically, but it also added to the diversity in the district, which has been a beautiful thing.
1: And how long have you been the superintendent there?
0: I'm on year four. And as My understanding, I guess it's kind of like dog years, so um, each year feels like about seven. So in that respect, I guess it's been 20 plus years.
1: And so what has the experience
0: of leading through this very difficult time been like for you? There are pros and cons. The one thing that I I, I think everyone, every superintendent listening to this will agree, the days go by really fast. And unfortunately, you start the day with this to-do list, and by the end of the day, it looks nothing like what you planned on. Um, and okay. it's always, yeah, it's always been that way. But now, it, the things that you think you're going to encounter, you would never imagine. And it, it's, it's been such a game changer. So on the one hand, there there definitely are some frustrations and some sadness. My heart breaks for all these students and teachers and families missing out on the school experience, the games, the concerts, the, the high fives in the hallway, the ho- holiday parties, all the fun stuff. But at the same time, I'm, I'm big on, I'm, I'm a glass half full kind of guy, and there are so many opportunities that are, are emerging as a result of this, and it really has given educators the autonomy to do some things that we've never had permission to do, and I, I do believe we can turn this into the biggest positive in the history of education. Brady,
1: that's a very important point, because when we think about the pandemic and its impact, we often think about the pre-existing conditions that now become more visible as a result of the situation that we find ourselves in. So can you talk a little bit more about those pre-existing conditions and what you mean by those opportunities?
0: Yeah, and, and when I talk about that, I'm, I'm talking about how school as an institution, and it's, it looks different in every district across the United States, but at the core, we still do things a lot of things, the way they were done when our parents were in school, when our grandparents were in school, when their parents were in school, the very regimented schedule, the the times that we know are not conducive with brain research, where kids need the, the extra rest, those kinds of things where, you know, the world has changed so much, but school, by and large, has not. It has in little pieces, it has in some places But the institution of school still looks very much the same as it always has. The longer I get into my career, the more outspoken I get about we're not doing what's best for kids all the time. We're we're often doing what's best for adults, but we are not doing our kids the service we need to. And I'm hearing it now as a superintendent on the employer end of you are not sending students to us with the skills that we need for them to be successful in the workplace.
1: Now, you also talk about the opportunities that the pandemic has begun to surface. In fact, you say the glass isn't half full, like you said earlier, you said it's overflowing. And what are those opportunities?
0: And you can take it so many different directions. I actually just met with some of our staff in our district yesterday to to reassure them that, because it it is hard right now and we know it's hard, No, no matter how good your plan is for dealing with education during the pandemic, we're all encountering struggles that we know we would, but teachers are working incredibly hard. Everybody working in education is, but we have the opportunity now. We've been given this opportunity to kind of hit the pause button, try something else. So if you're overwhelmed by the amount of emails you're, you're getting all night long, and it's funny, this, this always seems to go back to grading and learning and those types of things that maybe the grading part needed a kick in the butt anyways. Where teachers at this point, we're, we're nearing the end of our first marking period, a lot of the grades are looking grim, but for me, hey, this is an opportunity for you to lo- really look at that and take into context, okay, what should we be focusing on so that we're not obsessed with a letter grade when we should be working on this, those kinds of things.
1: So in one of the articles that you wrote, you talk about a student-centric design. What does that mean? Absolutely
0: yep and and that's kind of verbiage I've been using quite a bit. A line I've used quite a bit is we in the, in schools we are in the habit of adapting to the adults, and we have not spent enough time adapting to the kids, which is what we need to be doing and this is This is a struggle with and and I am the world's biggest teacher advocate, but it's that is a hard concept for a lot of teachers, especially those who have been doing it for a long time who have had a lot of success over the years with things like direct lecture and running a very rigid, fundamentally sound class where if you've been doing that or you've been teaching for, let's say 25 plus years, the way these students have changed during that 25 plus years is incredible. Yet we have a lot of, in in education, that the way we're delivering, the way we expect students to react to us has not changed with them. So being student-centric means, and it's frustrating for a lot of us, you know, that the attention span of students is much different than it used to be. The way to engage students is much different than, than it used to be. But we're not getting anywhere trying to force something they're not ready for. And, and as hard as it is, we need to get in their minds, figure out how they tick and go from there. So what will be required
1: to get us there and what are our leverage points?
0: That is a great question, and so much of it depends on the larger picture that's outside of the control of school districts, even kind of the legislative, the the national picture. For me, a big thing has always been I, I am all for tracking learning, I am all for assessment, but a lot of the system has been driven or built around showing success on standardized testing. And when you are a teacher and you're being evaluated, by that measuring stick, then of course, you are going to be afraid to adapt. You're going to be afraid to take risks. You're going to do what you need to do to focus on increasing achievement on a standardized test. That's another area where I think we're, we're doing a disservice to kids and we're doing a disservice to our employers. And it, it runs counterproductive to the way this generation of students needs to be educated. Do they need to learn? Absolutely. Do educators need to track that learning and assess constantly and grow these students? Absolutely. But we need to sh- kind of shake up the big, big picture system to be able to get down to school districts really having the, the permission to do things in a different way.
1: So clearly the role of leadership comes into focus when thinking about transforming educational systems. And one of the, the Pillars in your writing is servant leadership. And it's a concept and also as, as a tool for change. And so I went to my bookshelf to pull Greenleaf's book on servant leadership to remind myself of how he frames this. And he talks about servant leader as servant first. It begins with a feeling that you want to serve first as opposed to wanting power, influence, or fame. In this environment, do you do you believe that more now than ever the whole idea uh, or the whole concept of servant leadership needs to be revisited in in order to ensure that all of our students
0: are being served in the right way? Absolutely, and, and if there is one ideology that I stand on, stand by that it might say it on my grave because, and this for me, it was as early on as being a coach where when when i was coaching i learned that when the players can relate to you as opposed to you being kind of a yeller when they know you care about them when they know you are are there with them you're going to get more out of them that translated to teaching a little bit but especially when i became a principal and all over the united states when you're when you're thinking about how schools function and knowing that these principals have the power to literally evaluate a teacher out of their job and there's two ways a principal can go about it. You can be a servant leader and let those teachers that you're working with know that you are one of them, that you understand how difficult their job is, that when they have some deficiencies, you are identifying them, you're being honest about them, you're working with them, you're providing the resources for them, and you're doing everything you can to work alongside them. And for me, that was my kind of my mantra as a principal. Um, I feel like I got the most out of the staff being a servant leader and this, this is going to be a hard thing for a lot of superintendents to hear, and I hope no one takes it personal because I'm not identifying anybody, but a lot of superintendents seem to be more ego-driven. I shouldn't say a lot, that's unfair, but there are um, a lot of people that ascend to this position that it, it is a power play, they want to have control, and that, in my very strong opinion, is not the way to lead, even as a superintendent everybody needs to know that you are kind of boots on the ground with them that you understand what they're going through and that when you lead you're going to make informed decisions because you have been on the ground with them
1: and so how does that manifest itself in your school district for example you would be the biggest servant leader in your in your system how does that permeate
0: throughout yeah and it, there are times where to be honest i feel like maybe i'm overstepping but i do think i have a great relationship with the principals I work with, with the, the teachers that I work with and all the staff members to where I think they know I'm just genuinely interested in what's going on. I'm genuinely interested in, in pushing to be better. So I do want to be in and around classrooms. I do want to pace hallways and buildings, and I just want to get a feel for what's going on. And with that comes things like when it's time to stand up for them and advocate for them, you need to knowing that it's what's best for your district. And that, I think anyone would tell you. And, and, and little things go a long ways. Like, I've got to tell you, I, I cleaned a lot of vomit as a principal. <laughs> <laughs> That's disgusting. But I, you know, was, if you needed me to cover your class, I was going to hop into your class. And as a, a superintendent, you, you have to leave your ego at the door and whatever needs done, you do it. And people see that and they gravitate to that and they want to follow that. So if you really want to impact change, then be one of, you know, the team, as opposed to someone just kind of calling the shots from behind a closed door. And, and how do you think that all translates
1: to student success, especially academic success?
0: Yeah, and, and I don't think it's tangible. I don't think it's something that you can put your finger on. But in my experience, it is a culture building thing, and everybody feeds off of it. And I think when, when you're superintendent, and you're kind of at the top of that leadership chain, and we are blessed in my district with really strong leaders, but I think they feed off that too. And then when they are embracing that concept, that filters down to the teachers and that filters down to others, you know, across the whole district staff. So it is contagious. It's not something that you think about when you're in the middle of it, but then later on, when people realize that whether it's in achievement increasing or a culture has grown or you just have a great vibe in your district or wherever you work, it is the result of people dropping the ego, leading with their heart, leading with, you know, being a servant leader.
1: What is the model for your instruction right now? Are you full, full virtual?
0: Okay. So specific to the pandemic, what we decided right off the bat, and we had a lot of stakeholders involved in the decision-making process this summer, for our community, we wanted, equity was number one. We wanted to make sure whatever we did, the experience was something that every single student we serve has the access to the same resources, the same experience as everybody else. We balanced that with safety. So we did wanna make sure that we, and we knew coming in there were gonna be a lot of families, high risk families and students that weren't comfortable putting their students in school no matter what. So we erred on the side of giving them an option. And what we decided ultimately was we would offer a virtual option, so fully virtual. We would offer a five days per week, in school, our community was very clear on that. They wanted students to have the opportunity. And for us it was, yep, that's how we can get kids access to technology. That's how we can get them our food service. We can get them our social emotional resources. And then something we did that was a little different and I think it was the right thing to do for kids is we told parents right off the bat that we were gonna be flexible throughout. Meaning if you were an all virtual kid that was struggling and needed help with a concept or needed FaceTime with a teacher, we were gonna be flexible enough to allow you to come in when you needed to, to have access to the things we can offer in person. At the same time, if you're an in-person student and you are doing very well, and you realize that you can get some work done at home because of whatever reason, we were going to allow that too. So it is very symbiotic. You can kind of flow between things. and, And we think, we feel like we gave our community access to anything and everything they needed that was equitable.
1: sort of like a limited in-person instruction model or a, a hybrid light kind of model that that you have. And and it sounds like it really is beginning to to get its right get into a flow that allows for families to know where best to position their young their student or the older student to be able to move about. How has it worked for the adults in your system, the teachers and the
0: principals specifically? That, that's a great question. And the, the most important thing with all of this, which we did anticipate, we, we felt so good about our plan and to some degree we still do, but we knew there were going to be hiccups and curveballs and things like that. And we have had to adapt on the fly a little bit, but we anticipated this. And we, we had that conversation right up front to say, when something presents itself as a big challenge, let's adapt how we're doing things and let's go from there. One thing we're finding out that balancing, obviously with the teachers balancing, both virtual and in-person instruction is they're running into a real-time crunch. So one adjustment we have had to make or are in the process of making is we have created some time within the schedule that is declared non-instructional time. It is time dedicated strictly to letting our students have access to remediation, resources they may need, access to those teachers, but it also gives the teachers a bit of a breath knowing they're not instructing Virtual students or in-person students. So those little things, and we're constantly adapting. Something will change, I'm sure, in the next couple weeks to to fit what we're trying to do. So Brady, what is keeping you up at night? (laughs) (laughs) Everything. The the one thing that this is superintendents will chuckle because this is always a thing, but the the emails and calls and texts. I don't know that there is a a universal time where those are supposed Mm -hmm. to stop, (laughs) but I think that has shifted out to about two a.m. So those things they just don't stop. I mean, people, when something like this happens, there are so many variables and and just thinking of one that's that's in our face right now, our our Michigan High School Athletic Association just changed the parameters on who can attend games and expanded it greatly after we just had a nice plan in place that limited the, the number of people there. So this Friday, we, we just found this out earlier in the week, we are expanding our football game, which was very tight now to a minimum, it'll be a thousand guests for us. So it changes the whole, just little things like that. And they seem to pop up with amazing regularity. And then me being someone that has spent most of my life in schools, that loves being in schools, my heart breaks for all these things we're missing. And this right now, it's technically our homecoming week in our district, which is a huge deal in our community and for all of our students all the way down. And, And we're missing that this week. And we've done some virtual stuff. We have put some things together but it's not the same. So just thinking about what we're missing out on and that school experience, that's a heartbreaker. We just hope we can get back to some semblance of normal sometime relatively soon.
1: Are there any lessons to be learned from all of this? Now we have talked about it earlier where you were talking about opportunities that present themselves. As we think about where we are now and where we will hopefully be after this is over, what has the pandemic taught us
0: about schooling? I, and I think there are so many lessons to be learned. And what we can't do is, is take this time for granted and move on like it never happened. There's a teacher in our district who is a very good friend of mine. And he is one of the the, the world's best lecturers. If you sit in his class, no matter how, the, how dry the content, he is going to make it sound like the most interesting content in the world. So, and during traditional times, he was a superstar. You, you could sit there and listen to him all day. And he had a very open honest conversation with me um, before school started and he said this pandemic has literally taken all of my strengths and taken them away because we don't have a traditional classroom setting and he said it has forced me to get better at everything I am weak at because he is not tech savvy and he has not done a lot with changing up how he assesses students things like that so For him, the the growth, it is a challenge for him. He has had to adapt like crazy. But when he comes out of this, and he's the one that said it, he will be able to take what he was really good at before, take what he has learned through this experience, combine them all together, and he is going to be a tour de force. So I think for all of us, let's take the best of this and let's take what we were doing really well before and use it as a catalyst to be better. And in that regard, we hate the pandemic, But it really could be the best thing that has happened to education. Great reflection.
1: And so what advice do you have for our listeners during this time, whether a parent, a teacher,
0: a school or district leader, to inspire them to remain hopeful? I love that you included the parents and the non-school staff. But for me, the biggest thing is we we really can change the system and make it better. We really can. All of us, especially the the parents and the students that are living right now are so focused on getting their kid through school and then hoping they have a nice successful life and for us that might mean doing things differently that might mean and and schools have been so much better about this in the last 10 years where we have gone away from that get everybody ready for college concept that's a huge plus but let's continue to work with employers let's continue to meet students where they're at let's engage them in the way that they will remain interested and focused and let's Let's be student centric. And I think that can lead to some significant optimism for everybody. Brady, do you have a quote that resonates with you that you would not mind sharing with our listeners? I do. And this this gets back to the the servant leadership aspect. It's my favorite. I had this quote posted on my door when I was a principal. And before I do the quote, there's also a I forgot to mention a visual that I love for student leadership, where if you can imagine, there's there's a picture and in one half of the picture, there are four individuals and a very heavy wagon, and then there's four ropes. And it's meant to symbolize that they need to pull this heavy wagon. And in the first picture, the leader, and it identifies the little stick figure as the leader, is sitting in the wagon and pointing their finger forward. And the other three individuals are trying to pull the wagon, and it's not moving. And obviously, it symbolizes what what style of leadership that person Possesses. And the other picture it shows the same wagon, the same four ropes. The leader is out front pulling the rope with the other three individuals, and the wagon is moving. And I think that's a perfect um, encapsulation of servant leadership. So the quote that I would love to share is from Lao Tzu, Chinese uh, writer and philosopher, and that is A leader is best when people barely know he exists. When his work is done, his aim fulfilled, they will say, We did it ourselves. Thank you. Wow. Yep. you're very welcome. Brady, I want to thank
1: you for joining us on District Leader today and taking time from your busy day. How
0: can people contact you to extend the conversation if they, if they would like to? Sure, and and this would make me very happy. We need a lot of us in this together if we're really going to impact change. My school email address is brady.cook at mccardinals.org. Twitter, I believe my Twitter is at Brady L. Cook. Those are probably the easiest ways. I'm one that obsesses about answering emails relatively quickly. So that might be a good shot. And I really appreciate what you're doing, Luis. This is, for those of you that haven't gone through the library and listened to some other podcasts, this is such a great resource for superintendents and school leaders and school people in general. Thank you. I appreciate
1: that. And I want to wish you and your staff and your family a great year. And we will hopefully check back again once this is all over and have a different kind of conversation. All right. Thank you. Let's change the world, everybody. Okay. Thank you. Take care, Luis. And that was my conversation with Superintendent Brady Cook. If you would like to connect with Brady and extend the conversation, contact information will be available in the show notes, along with links to other material covered in the episode. And you can find it at districtleader.net. And don't forget to browse the District Leader website for updated resources. I would like to thank our affiliate sponsors for their support. And thank you for joining us. Don't forget, tell a friend.